My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Community Church, and I'm really excited to have the opportunity to uh, share God's Word with us uh, this morning, so thanks for the opportunity. You came in this morning, you might find yourself in uh, one of three places. could be uh, one that you came here maybe this morning because someone invited you, uh, maybe you drove by and thought, I need to stop in there, maybe you you came in here this morning and you're looking, uh, you've got some questions about faith, uh, about what church is all about. Maybe you haven't spent a whole lot of time in church. Maybe you're even skeptical. Uh, let me just say thanks for being here uh, this morning with us. Thanks for kind of um, embracing those questions and uh, maybe even doubts that you have. So thanks for just uh, joining us in that spot if you find yourself there. Um, you could be here this morning and um, you find yourself in that uh, place of looking for a church home. Um, and that's a tough, tough place to be, to be honest. I don't envy you um, at all. And so if you're in that, uh, that place and you're kind of uh, praying through, uh, what, where's a, is this a church family for me? Maybe you've just moved here from out of town or you've had to make a decision about making a change. Um, let me just say thanks for joining us uh, in, here today and for leaning into that awkwardness. I know it can be hard and it can, it can be awkward and uh, there's a lot of just questions uh, swirling around. And so thank you uh, for being uh, here with us. And then if you've been here uh, and you're here this morning, maybe you've been a part of church for decades, maybe for your entire life. Like you remember uh, as an infant, well, you don't, maybe don't you remember being an infant, but like as an infant, you were in the church and you've been a part of the church for, for decades. And this has just been a rhythm and practice of your life. Thanks for uh, including us in that practice of your life and that rhythm of, of your life. So wherever you find yourself uh, this morning, thanks for uh, being here. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you've, uh, we've been there for a little bit now. Uh, so you can turn to Matthew chapter 10 with me. We have been in the book of Matthew for a little while now, and today we continue in our series through uh, the gospel of Matthew. Over the last uh, few weeks, as has been said previously, we've, we've made a bit of a transition in our series in Matthew. In the first part of Matthew, when we uh, started out um, in this book, we, we saw a lot of Jesus's authority being displayed. We saw him doing miracles. We saw him healing people. And so we saw a lot of the authority of Jesus being displayed. And just about a month or so ago, we made a little bit of a transition. Now we see Jesus beginning to transfer and give authority to his followers and disciples and sending them out on mission. We've talked about over, the, over these last few weeks, the compassion of Jesus is what leads him to call for people to be sent out on his mission. Uh, we see him beginning to give instructions to his 12 disciples, telling them to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. Last week, we talked about the fear of the Lord and the implications um, of that. And after Jesus gives uh, these disciples and followers of, of his instructions... As they're being sent out, he reminds them to expect that persecution will come and that their calling as disciples, they can expect conflict personally and culturally, but they can also expect not just persecution, but comfort that can only come from him. Today, as was 
uh, just read by Linda. We're going to be covering chapter 10, verses 33 through 42. And we're going to see together as a, a church community that we're going to see that allegiance to Jesus is going to cause conflict and friction. And I want to be honest, this is a little bit of a, uh, a heavy uh, passage of Scripture. Linda even joked with me she, uh, this morning. She even joked. She said, Adam, good luck with this one. Um, and so uh, we'll see if that, that helps out or not. But I want to be honest. There may be some apprehension as we're approaching this text because we may have been a part of some churches or heard some sermons or teaching that have, have uh, misinterpreted this passage. Or maybe this passage has led to some ideas about Jesus that just aren't true or can cause some misunderstanding or can even make us feel uncomfortable. Because we may have heard sermons and teachings that have said that Jesus wants our lives to go really smoothly and go really well. Have anyone else heard a sermon like that, that if you follow Jesus, your life is just going to be full of blessings and it's just going to be a really smooth ride? I think we've all maybe been in places or heard sermons that that talk about that. So we come to the passage like this, and we start uh, thinking through the applications and implications on our lives, and um, that comes in direct conflict with that idea that Jesus wants everything to go really smoothly for us. Or maybe we've been taught in our church backgrounds that we as a follower of Christ are to be abrasive people, that we're kind of these in-your-face type of people, and we have a spiritual chip on our shoulder, and we need to point out to our families and our neighbors, coworkers, and really society as a whole where they are wrong and we are right. And because if we're not facing conflict and friction, then maybe uh, with our faith, we're, maybe we're doing something wrong if there's not a lot of conflict in our lives. So with these differing ideas of allegiance to Jesus, it's going to have to take some discernment. We're going to need the Holy Spirit to meet with us and counsel us through what does it mean to have true allegiance to Jesus. And then when it comes to having true allegiance with Jesus, where there's going to be some spots of conflict and tension, we're going to need that help. Remember, we saw just a couple of weeks ago in verse 16 of this chapter in Matthew, Jesus told his disciples as he was sitting them out, he told them to be innocent as doves, but wise as serpents as well. So there has to be, I think there has to be a balance when it comes to allegiance to Jesus, balance in that we're going to need discernment and knowing what is persecution and what is not. Because we may have been told something um, happens in our lives. Well, lives. Well, that's because that's per- persecution in our lives. We're followers of Jesus, so something's not go- going well, and so maybe that's persecution. Or uh, maybe we've had uh, political leaders tell us that we need them, so we don't experience uh, uh, spiritual persecution. And so there's just a lot of swirling different ideas around on what persecution is, what is conflict worth having, what is what are, what are the tensions that come with following Jesus. And so we really need discernment. We need a spirit of discernment. Because allegiance in following Jesus does come with a cost. Our values of our lives, our value systems in our lives is going to be challenged as we follow Jesus. There's going to be conflict and division when we align ourselves with Jesus. But with that conflict and division, we also don't want to have a spirit of arrogancy or victimhood, or even actively seeking out to be confrontational. But when it comes to persecution and confrontation and division in our lives, when it comes to following Jesus, we want to have a posture of humility 
and grace. So as we come to this passage, my hope is that together this morning that we will be compelled by the love that Jesus has for us and for all people, and that we would see that Jesus is worth our allegiance, though it could come with a cost. And that we won't be afraid of conflict or unnecessarily seek, not unnecessarily seek out conflict and division, but that we would be a people compelled by the love that Christ has for all people, and that we would be sent out from this place on mission for all people to know him. So would you pray with me one more time before we jump into this passage together? Holy Spirit, we need your help. As I just said a second ago, we need discernment as we approach this passage. We need help in understanding it. And so I pray that you would bring us help this morning. Pray that even as we walk through a, a challenging passage, that we would even feel your presence, that we would even feel your warmth with us as we, we talk about some things that may be difficult to digest and swallow. Jesus, we thank you that you are worth our allegiance. We thank you that you went to some really great lengths to save us and to make us your own. And so we praise you. We worship you for that. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's jump into verse 34. If you have your Bible there, let's jump into that uh, verse 34. We're not going to read through the whole passage together, but I just want us to take a look at it again. Look at verse 34. And we're going to see Jesus really start out by saying some pretty startling things. So what's the first startling thing he says here? Look at, look at verse 34. He says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, but a sword. All right, whoa, time out here. That's a pretty bold statement, especially to the Jewish people that Jesus was speaking to about 2,000 years ago. These people had waited for centuries. They had waited for a really long time for the coming Messiah. And when Jesus said this, this was probably a bit of a slap in the face because many Jews in Jesus' time believed that the coming Messiah had come and was going to come and was going to bring political peace and material prosperity. And if you look at our culture today, really some things never change, do they? Even in the church, we can experience a pretty prevalent idea that Jesus came to give us a peaceful, tranquil life that is pretty easy. Now, is Jesus saying that he came to start wars and conflict? Is Jesus saying that he has a violent streak? Not at all. What he's saying is that following him and being sent by him is going to cause conflict and, and tension because it is a matter of allegiance. Jesus uses the phrase twice. Look in verse 34 and at the start of verse 35. Jesus uses the phrase, I have come. If you want to underline that or circle that, you're welcome to. Jesus says, I have come. And by saying this repeated statement twice, Jesus is declaring his deity. Jesus is saying right off the bat, when it comes to allegiance, he is saying, I am the Messiah. I am here to usher God the Father's kingdom in. I'm here to usher in the Father's kingdom. So in this statement, we see first, number one, that Jesus is worth our allegiance because he is God. Now that might seem pretty obvious, but when we begin to think of the ramifications of Jesus being God, it's pretty life-altering because the course of our lives is going to change. Because if Jesus is God, the Messiah, that means he's in charge. He, is, he has authority and he has the right to be in total control. 
And if we're honest, if we were to all to take some truth serum together this morning, there's something deep inside us that resists that. Because we want control. Because the reality is, is, is if we are in control, then it soothes our anxieties. We don't have to face our fears if we're in control. We don't have to trust somebody else and then possibly be let down and hurt. We often feel tension with God being in control because as we get to know him and we understand his character and what God is like, it could push against our own built-in biases. It could come in conflict with the way we were raised, or it might not fit into a framework that we have created to view the world that makes us feel comfortable and safe. Some people that study Christianity in our culture recently said in a podcast, podcast that we are often guilty of trying to form Jesus around our own biases. We're guilty of trying to fit Jesus around our already established worldviews and preconceived ideas. And so then what we do is we try to surround ourselves and try to find churches and be a part of political parties and, and people in our lives that are going to portray Jesus in a way that we feel most comfortable And when we start to do that, when we start to surround ourselves with people that are going to tell us what we want to hear when it comes to Jesus, that's really not true allegiance to Christ. In reality, that's self-idolatry. And we're making ourselves God, trying to fit Jesus in where we want him to be. But the spiritual reality is this, is that Jesus is worth our our allegiance and he has a right to our our allegiance because he is God. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what is it in our lives that we are having a hard time giving up control of when it comes to our allegiance to Christ? Is it our churches? Is it our political parties? Is it the people and friends and family in our lives? What is it in our lives that we're having a hard time giving up control in order to be fully aligned with Christ? Then Jesus goes on to say in verse 35, he says, I have come to set a man against father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Again, these are some really heavy words that Jesus is saying. And this would have landed really heavily in the Jewish culture. Because in the Jewish culture at this time of Christ, life revolved around the family. Who your family was was really important. Oftentimes in in this culture, these families lived under one roof. And as kids grew up and got married, they just kept adding rooms onto the house. so So then what you would have is a bunch of generations all living under one roof together. This would have been hard for the followers of Jesus who heard this because many people, people believe that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman Empire and bring a, a political revolution that would bring peace and not divide up families. We even see how important family was in the Jewish culture because the Gospel of Matthew that we're in 
was written for Jews to understand who Jesus was. And in Matthew 1, what what does Matthew start out with? He starts out with the genealogy of Christ because it was really important to the Jews, the family heritage of the Messiah, because family was everything. You might remember in verses 21 through 22 of this chapter, we saw a couple of couple of weeks ago that Jesus warned his disciples of the world's hatred for them and that this war- hatred could extend even to close relatives. This hadn't even been prophesied in the Old Testament. The prophet Micah in Micah 7 verse 6, he said, For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. So Micah, even in the Old Testament, prophesied that Jesus was going to say this. The Messiah was going to cause division, even in really close family units. Now, now is Jesus anti-family? No, not at all. Because we see consistently through Scripture that family is a a precious gift of God and is a beautiful picture of what we are provided through the work of Christ to save us. But if our true allegiance and loyalty lies with Jesus, it may even cause friction and division in our families. But Jesus is worth our allegiance because second... He is our true and better family. If you are a believer and follower of Jesus, one of the benefits we have because of the gospel and the work of Christ is that we have been adopted into God's family. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 2 with me. Hold your finger here in Matthew 10. We're going to come right back to it. But turn over to Hebrews chapter 10 with me. Or Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Sorry about that. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 The writer of Hebrews, we're not really entirely sure who that was, but the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 2, 10 through 11, he says, they say, for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies... And those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Now look down in verse 17 of Hebrews 2. It says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So God became like us in Jesus, knowing our weaknesses and struggles and then dying on the cross for our sins so we could be made his sons and daughters, so we could be made siblings of Christ. David even describes God, the character of God in Psalm 68 verse 5, as a father of the fatherless and a protector of widows. So Jesus is worth our allegiance because he is our true and better family. Love for Jesus should be superior to, our, to love for a parent, a spouse, our kids, a sibling. These loves are temporal. 
They're valuable, they're precious, but they're temporal. But our relationship with Jesus is eternal. Now, we're going to wrestle with this because we love our families and we absolutely should. Christ desires for us to love our families and to care and provide for them. There's no doubt about that. But there could be times when following Jesus could even cause friction, tensions, and conflict in our families. And to be honest, if you're like me, we hate that. I hate conflict. In fact, even as I've been digging through some personality stuff, I even find that I'll go to some pretty great lengths to avoid conflict. Because we want our families to be a a place of peace and unity, so we might do whatever is necessary to avoid conflict. But we have to remember that God is our Father. He's the Father we always needed. He's the Father we always wanted and longed for. Jesus is our brother. And we have the Holy Spirit that is the presence of God in our lives. So even in those hard moments of conflict and tension in our families for the sake of Christ and because of our allegiance to Christ, he is present. Jesus is there. He knows what it's like. Remember, his family members thought he was crazy. So he sympathizes with us and we are not alone. Then as we keep going, we see back in Matthew 10, we see in verses 39 through 42 that third, Jesus is worth our allegiance because he is our reward. Look at verse 39 with me. It says this, whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So here, Jesus talks about the promise that awaits all who follow him. And here's the beautiful thing. Like, I don't want to just leave us with like dark news here this morning. I want to give us good news because here's the beautiful thing. Because in these verses, Jesus is not saying that following him and placing allegiance with him, it is not all doom and gloom. In reality, it's an invitation to joy and satisfaction. The world teaches us that the path to joy and satisfaction is through wealth, is through stuff, that that joy comes in safety and security, and that joy and satisfaction is found even in pleasure. So then what we do is we run ourselves ragged so we can accumulate wealth. We do everything we possibly can to soothe our anxieties and numb our fear and pain by reaching for anything that can make us feel safe and secure. But then when it doesn't work, it only multiplies everything. And then we're back in that cycle of running ourselves ragged and and trying to make ourselves feel safe and numbing our fear and pain. 
We're taught from an early age to get the most out of life. And so we try to find joy and pleasure in things that they might give temporary joy. They might give temporary pleasure. But then when it's all over, we're left feeling empty and dead inside. And so then we're just on this hamster wheel of looking for joy and pleasure and satisfaction and safety and security. And we keep going round and round and round and round that hamster wheel to where we're just on this endless loop. And then we just keep going further and further down. And what Jesus said, and what Jesus says is that these endless loops that we find ourselves in is how we are robbed of joy. Jesus wants us to experience joy in life. And so when we're on this hamster wheel of trying everything we can to find joy and satisfaction, the life is almost literally sucked out of us and we lose all joy and all hope. And it could be that you're here this morning and your life has been sucked dry. You've tried every solution and strategy to bring peace and comfort and it hasn't worked or maybe it's worked for a little while but now it's run out i have good news for us jesus offers an alternative to the hamster wheel he says that life is found when all the things the world has to offer are sacrificed for the sake of the joy, the pleasure, safety, and security that can only be found in him. So he is our reward. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in ev- blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul says all that you need is in Christ. He goes on the outline in Ephesians 1 what those spiritual blessings are. He says that we're chosen in Christ. We're adopted into the family of God through Christ. We have redemption and forgiveness in Christ. Then we have the Holy Spirit that is the guarantee of our spiritual inheritance. All of these spiritual blessings that believers and followers of Christ receive in him is our reward. So what is our reward as followers of Christ, as we align ourselves with Christ? What is our reward? Our reward is this. We get him. We get him because he is God. We get him so he's our true and better family. And we get him so therefore he is our reward. Jesus is worth our allegiance. Even though conflict and division will come because of that allegiance, he is our reward. Which is why we take communion every week. We take communion every week to remind ourselves and each other that Jesus died for our sins, that he paid a high price for our salvation to make us his own, and because of his great work on the cross, he is worth our allegiance. So in just a moment, we're going to pray, and the worship team's going to come. They're going to sing over us. We'll have some servers here at the 
end of these aisles. We have a gluten-free option over here as well as some pre-packaged communion elements if you feel more comfortable with that. But when we take communion, what we are doing is we're declaring to ourselves and to each other that Jesus is our reward, that he's worth our allegiance. One of, the, one of the folks that'll be serving us communion as we take that bread out of the ba- basket, they'll still say over us, this is the body of Christ broken for, for you. And as we dip that bread into that juice, the other person will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for our life, reminding us that Jesus is our, our reward and that he has paid it all. So therefore, he is worth our allegiance. So let's pray together. Jesus, this morning, we, as a corporate body, declare that you are worth our allegiance. We thank you that you died on the cross for our sins, that you saw us rebels against you. But you craved a relationship with us, and so you went to these great lengths to die on the cross for us to be our reward, to be our true and better family. We thank you that you didn't do this as a human, but you did this as God. So because of these realities, you are worth our allegiance. So I pray as we take communion, I pray you'd remind us of what you've done for us. Remind us that we need you, that you feed our souls, and that we cannot live without you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. As the worship team plays, you can come when you're ready to take communion.